Could you have? You're now tuned in to the caucus rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Star Wars fam? This is your boy, Kyle, coming at you from Star Wars Audio Archive, the hottest audio show in the galaxy. So how's everyone doing out there in the far reaches of the cosmos? I hope you are ready to get hyped because I got an epic episode in store for you. Get ready to jump into hyperspace and experience Star Wars The Old Republic like never before. Like a Rebel X-Wing flying into the mouth of the Death Star. Because now it is time to hit the throttle and go full speed ahead. This episode is going to be a wild ride, packed with thrills, high energy excitement, and enough Wookiee roars to keep you on the edge of your seat. So grab your lightsaber, put on your best Nerf Herder grin, and let's blast off into a galaxy far, far away. Are you ready to get jacked up on Star Wars? Then let's do this thing. <laughs> Day 3. The sky lightened to the east. Zira checked his chrono. Almost dawn. The night had disappeared on him. He was too wired to feel fatigue. He worked up the nerve to ask this question of Aaron. What are you going to do? He asked. She did not look at him. He took that as a bad sign. I'm going to get you into the spaceport, and you're going to fly back to your daughter. Assuming he could dodge Imperial cruisers on the way out, which would be no mean feat. That isn't what I mean, Aaron, and you know it. What are you going to do with her? Aaron did not answer, but the set of her jaw told Zirid all he needed to know. He regretted mentioning the Twi'lek to Aaron. His honesty would cost Aaron her soul. Hunting the Sith who had murdered her master was one thing. Killing the Twi'lek simply to hurt Mulgus was something else. As he drove, he found himself hoping that the Twi'lek had left the spaceport. Ahead, the port came into view. He scanned the sky, saw nothing. The control tower was still dark. The Empire had done a poor job of securing the port. They had far too few men guarding a location with many potential entry points. But Zirid supposed they had limited troops and an entire planet to police. He was glad of it. Otherwise, his plan would have no chance to succeed. I'll circle wide and we'll go up top. The key to this is speed. Won't they spot us on scanners? The tower's dark, and I don't see any hardware around. If they have orbiting surveillance on the port, well... He shrugged. If the Empire had orbiting surveillance or high-altitude surveillance droids watching the spaceport, he and Aaron would have problems. Speed is still the key, he said. Even if they see us, if we can get in and out fast enough, we can still pull it off. Aaron brushed her hair from her face. Where did you see her? The Twi'lek. There, he said, pointing at the large transparasteel windows that opened onto the small craft landing pad where he had spotted the shuttles, the dropship, and the Twi'lek. Without bringing his macro binoculars to bear, all he could see through the windows were indiscriminate gray shapes, presumably the shuttles. Aaron stared at the windows for a moment, then nodded to herself. Let's go, she said. He killed the running lights on the speeder and took it up to 500 meters, just above the top of the main center structure in the spaceport. Pushing the thrusters as hard as he could, he accelerated toward it. His heart raced, not out of fear that they would be caught, but out of concern that Aaron would find the Twi'lek. 
He swerved around one of the large craft landing arms that reached up and over them. He hunched behind the controls, anticipating fire at any moment. But none came. Below them, perhaps a hundred meters, he could see the roof doors of the various small craft landing pads. Aaron unstrapped herself, turned, and unlatched T-7. The droid beeped. Zirid slowed the speeder, but did not stop. If anyone had seen them approach, he wanted them to think that the speeder just kept on going. Ready? he asked, and set the speeder's unsophisticated autopilot to fly on another ten clicks before setting down. Ready. He released the stick, and he and Aaron quickly maneuvered onto the back of the speeder near T-7. The wind pulled at them. He had trouble balancing, but Aaron took him by the arm and steadied him. They sandwiched the droid between them, shared a look. Go, he said. She nodded, and they stepped off the back of the speeder. T-7 whooped as they fell. The droid's bulk did not allow them to control their descent. They were flipping end over end immediately. Zirid's field of vision veered rapidly, wildly, between the starry sky and the top of the spaceport below. His stomach crawled up his throat, and he gritted his teeth to keep down the protein bar he'd eaten. End over end, they spun, T-7 whistling with alarm, until Eren seized them in her power, ended the spinning, and slowed their descent. The metal enduracrete of the spaceport's roof rushed up to meet them. They had only a second, two. Eren grunted, slowed them still further, further, until they touched down gently on the roof. Much better than last time, Zirid said, grinning, heart racing. I could go my whole life without another fall and feel I'd miss nothing. Aaron did not so much as smile. Zirid gathered himself, took a blaster in each hand, and scanned the rooftop. He spotted a conduit access panel. There. They ran over to it, and he shot off the metal cover with his blaster, exposing a viper's nest of wires. Ordinarily, a breached cover would have set off an alarm in the control tower. But the control tower was dark, unoccupied. Do it, T-7. A panel in the droid's abdomen opened, and several thin mechanical arms reached out. All ended in one kind of tool or another. T-7 stuck the arms into the wires and began to work. Zirid, still concerned that they may have been spotted, scanned the sky. He saw nothing. T-7 hummed while he worked. Come on, come on, Zirid said to the droid. To Aaron, he said, You all right? She seemed oddly calm, or preoccupied. I'm fine, she said. The droid gave an excited series of whistles and whoops. He's into the safety and fire suppression system, Aaron said. Trigger it with a ten-second delay. Zirid said to the droid. The droid beeped acquiescence. Malgus bounded into the shuttle as it set down near the temple. The Lysian spaceport, he said to the pilot. Quickly! Yes, my lord. He tried again to raise Alina on the comm, but got no response. With each moment that passed, his concern grew. He recognized that his emotions were driving him, controlling him. Knew, too, the weakness it evidenced. But he could not let her come to harm. Not by a Jedi. Angrel's admonition bounced around his brain. 
passions can lead to mistakes. The pilot's voice over the comm disrupted his train of thought. Have you heard the news from Alderaan, my lord? What news? Malga said. His muscles bunched, as if in anticipation of a blow or combat. The blow came and hit him hard. There are rumors that an accord has been reached, and that a peace treaty will be signed later today. In exchange for the turnover of certain outlying systems to Imperial control, Coruscant will be returned to the Republic. The pilot's words pushed Angrel's words out of Malgus's brain and ricocheted around in his head like blaster shots. Outlying systems. Coruscant returned to the Republic. Peace. The words applied heat to Malgus's already bubbling emotions. He thought of Angrel and Adras sitting somewhere together, drinking wine and thinking they had accomplished something by forcing the Republic to surrender some insignificant systems, when in fact they had poisoned the body of the Empire with the venom of peace. Peace. He paced the compartment, fists clenched, a wild animal tiring of its cage. His thoughts veered between Alina on the one hand, Angrel and Adras on the other. Peace! He slammed his fist into the bulkhead, welcomed the pain. They thought they could tame him, Angrel and Adras. Thought they could use Alina to domesticate him. And wasn't that what she wanted too? She who sought to be his conscience. She who asked him to put love before his duty to the Empire. Malgus's brewing anger boiled over into rage. He slammed his fist down on the work table, venting it. He picked up a chair and threw it against the bulkhead. Drove his fist through the small vid screen built into the wall. Is everything all right, Darth Malgus? The pilot called over the comm. Everything is fine, Malgus said, though nothing was. Coming up on the spaceport now, my lord. Zerid watched T-7 work, anxious. His internal clock was running. They needed to keep moving. Having jacked into the spaceport safety and fire suppression system, T-7 was to send a false signal into the network, tricking the sensors into detecting a fuel gas leak in the landing bay where the Imperial shuttles had landed. An alarm indicating the leak of highly explosive fuel gas should trigger evacuation and venting procedures. Or so Zerid hoped. The droid's metal arms worked their magic. T-7 cut a wire here, soldered there, reattached several cables here, then plugged into the interface he had rewired. His low whistles and chirps told Zerid he was communicating with the spaceport's network. After a short time, the droid retracted his metal arms into the cylinder of his body. Done? Zerid asked. T-7 beeped an affirmative. Zerid slapped him on the head, and the droid protested with a low beep. Then let's go, Zerid said. He and Aaron sprinted across the roof toward the launch doors, with T-7 wheeling after them. Zerid counted down from ten in his head. Just as they reached the launch doors, just as he finished his countdown, sirens began to wail, audible even from the roof. A mechanical voice spoke over the facility speakers. A hazardous substance spill has occurred in landing bay 16B. There is significant danger. Please move rapidly toward the nearest exit. A hazardous substance spill has occurred in landing bay 16B. If T-7 did his job, Zerid said, 
and the droid beeped indignantly. The system will detect a fuel gas leak in the pad right below us. When it does, it should open the launch doors automatically to vent the gas. The roof vibrated as the launch doors unsealed and started slowly to slide open. Nicely done, Sirid said to the droid. Ahead, Malgus saw the small spaceport the Empire had commandeered. It looked somewhat like an upside-down spider with a few too many legs, with large craft landing arms sticking out from the bloated body and raised skyward. Launch doors over the various small craft landing pads dotted the spider's body. All were closed, save one. Lights spilled out into the sky through the open doors. There is a crowd near the port's entrance, the pilot said. Malgus looked away from the open launch doors to see dozens of people pouring out of one of the entrances to the spaceport and milling about. Most were port workers and dungarees, citizens of Coruscant, whom the Empire had pressed into service to do menial labor at the port. But he counted perhaps twenty Imperial soldiers, a dozen Navy sailors, and a handful of other soldiers in half-armor. He pressed his face to the window to look more closely at the soldiers. He saw Captain Curse one of those he had picked to accompany Alina. But he did not see Alina. Sit down near the doors! Quickly! The shuttle touched down with a heavy thud, and Malgus hurried out. Upon seeing him, the Imperial soldiers snapped to attention and offered a salute. The workers backed away, fear in their eyes. Perhaps they'd heard of what he'd done at the hospital. Malgus walked up to Captain Curse, a powerfully built man whose bald head sat like a boulder upon his thick neck. Malgus towered over him. Darth Malgus, there's a fuel gas leak in a small craft landing area. We evacuated all the safety system. Where is Alina? Malgus asked. She's... Curse looked around the crowd. His skin turned blotchy. To one of his men, he said, Where is the Twilik? I saw her near the other shuttle, sir, replied another of the soldiers. I assumed she followed. Malgus grabbed Curse by his plasteel breastplate and pulled him nose to nose. She was with you before the gas leak. Curse's head bobbed on his neck. Yes, she... Take me. The fuel gas, my lord. There is no fuel gas. It is a ruse to get to Alina. To get to him. What? Curse said. Malgus threw Curse to the ground and strode past him for the port's doors. Behind him, he heard Curse call out for the other soldiers to follow. By the time the doors slid open before Malgus, he had six elite soldiers with blaster rifles in orbit around him. This way, my lord said Curse, taking position beside him. Speed and precision, Zirid said, as much a reminder to himself as to Aaron. Speed and precision. They watched the launch doors pull back to vent non-existent fuel gas. The open doors revealed the landing pad below. Zirid saw the two Imperial shuttles, the Dragonfly-class dropship. The sirens continued to scream. The automated voice on the speakers continued to drone on. Zirid would hijack the dropship. He'd have to dodge Imperial fighters and cruisers on his way out of course on space. The shuttles would fly like the square heaps they were, 
and he'd get shot down as soon as he cleared the atmosphere. The dropship, at least, would give him a decent chance of getting clear. He took Aaron by the bicep. You can still come with me, Aaron. She looked him in the face, and he saw once more, for the first time since seeing her again, the deep understanding that lived in her eyes. I can't, she said. You can, he insisted. You've honored your master's memory. Time to go, she said. Speed and precision, you said. He bit back his reply. And once more they wrapped T-7 in their shared grasp and leapt into the void. Again, Aaron's power slowed their descent and cushioned their landing. They hit the pad's metal and duracrete floor, assaulted on all sides by the wail of the sirens and the relentless voice on the loudspeakers. Zirid took quick stock of the situation. He saw no one in the landing area, and the only way out, a pair of double doors leading into a long corridor beyond, were open. Everyone must have evacuated. Both of the Imperial shuttles had their landing ramps down. The dropship did not, and the canopy of its cockpit was dimmed, as opaque as dirty water. T-7, I need you to crack open that dragonfly. Right now! The droid beeped agreement and wheeled toward the dropship's rear door. Zirid looked to Aaron and gave it another try. Reconsider, Aaron. He stood directly before her, forcing her to see him, to hear him. Come with me. Please. He smiled, trying to make light. We'll start a farm on Dantooine, just like I said. She smiled, seemingly amused by the thought, and he was pleased to see it. I can't, Zirid. You'll make a good farmer, though. I'm going to find the Twi'lek and... She stopped in mid-sentence, her eyes fixed on something over Zirid's shoulder. He whirled around to see the Twi'lek descending the near shuttle's landing ramp, a rucksack thrown over her shoulder. Two Imperial soldiers in plasteel breastplates flanked to either side. Each had a blaster rifle slung over his shoulder. All three wore breathing masks. They had not left their ship when the alarm sounded had instead just donned masks. Perhaps there was something on the shuttle they were unwilling to leave unguarded. Everyone froze, and for a moment no one moved. Then all at once, everyone moved. The Twi'lek dropped her rucksack, her eyes wide behind the lens of her mask, and went for her blasters. The soldiers cursed in muffled tones, unslung their rifles, and tried to bring them to bear. Aaron ignited her lightsaber. Zirid, one of his blasters still in hand, fired at the soldier on the right. Two shots screamed into the soldier's chest. Armor ablated in a puff of smoke, and the force of the impact knocked the man from the ramp, turned his mask sideways on his face. He hit the deck and lay there, scrabbling for cover. Zirid fired again, and a hit to the man's midsection made him go still. The Twi'lek got her blasters clear and fired two, four, six shots at Zirid. Aaron slid before him, and her blade deflected all of the shots, two of them back at the other soldier, which opened small holes in the soldier's mask. He fell forward onto the ramp, dead. Get out of here, Zirid! Aaron said over her shoulder. She started walking toward the shuttle, toward the Twi'lek. Aaron! Zirid called, but she did not hear him. He imagined she heard only the voice of her dead master now. Zirid realized it was no longer his fight. He holstered his blaster and watched. 
There was nothing else he could do. Aaron strode toward the shuttle while the Twi'lek backed up the landing ramp, taking aim. Before the Twi'lek could fire, Aaron gestured with her left hand, and both of the blasters flew from the Twi'lek's hands and landed at Aaron's feet. The Twi'lek mouthed something lost in the muffle of her mask. Aaron stepped over and passed the blasters. The Twi'lek, wide-eyed, turned to flee into the shuttle's compartment. Again, Aaron gestured, and a blast of power went forth from her, slammed into the Twi'lek's back, and drove her hard into the bulkhead. She collapsed within the shuttle's compartment, only her feet sticking out far enough for Zerid to see. Aaron deactivated her blade. She stopped for a moment and lowered her head, thinking. Zerid let himself hope, almost called her name again. But then she raised her head and walked for the landing ramp, stepping over the corpse of the soldier. Zerid hung his head for a moment, saddened. It was her decision. Her fight. He gathered himself, turned, and shouted at T-7. Get that dragonfly open, T-7. It's time to go. Wrath awoke to the sound of blaster fire, the high-pitched whine of silence, and the voice on the port speaker system saying something about a fuel leak. He'd taken a sleep tab to put him out, and it took a few moments for his head to clear. He'd fallen asleep in the cockpit. He checked his chrono. Almost dawn, or just after. He'd been out the better part of the night. Something thudded into Razor's hull. A blaster shot. What in the... He undimmed the cockpit's transparent steel canopy and looked out on the landing pad. Razor's angle offered him a very small field of vision, so he could see little, merely part of one of the Imperial shuttles docked near him. Strangely, he saw no workers, no Imperial soldiers, no droids. He heard a few more blaster shots from behind the ship. He had no idea what was going on and had no desire to find out. He did not yet have permission to leave Coruscant, but he would not leave his ship and dock in the midst of a firefight or whatever was happening out there. He figured he'd just take Razor into the air and stay in atmosphere. He put the dull monotone of the spaceport's automated announcement on his in-ship comm. A hazardous substance spill has occurred in landing base 16B. There is significant danger. Please move rapidly toward the nearest exit. A hazardous substance spill. On the wall near him, written in large black letters, were the words, Landing Bay 16B. He double-checked to ensure Razor was still sealed tight. It wasn't. The rear door was open. He cursed. He swore he'd closed it. He hit the button to close it, but it still flashed as unsealed and open. Something was keeping it open, or there was a malfunction in the circuit. He would have to close it with the rear switch, or cargo would fall out as he flew. He started Razor's auto-launch sequence, rose, and headed for the rear of the ship. Halfway there, he realized he left his blaster and blades in the cockpit. He stripped them off when he grabbed some shut-eye. No matter. He wouldn't need them. Aaron felt light-headed as she walked up the shuttle's landing ramp. She held her lightsaber hilt in her hand held anger in her heart. She slowed when the Twi'lek stirred, groaned, and turned over to watch her approach. Aaron held up her free hand and almost said, I won't hurt you. 
but walled off the words before they escaped her mouth. She did not want to lie. The woman scrabbled backward crab-wise, eyes showing no fear, taking Aaron in, until she bumped into the bulkhead. She slid up the wall so that she was standing. Aaron stopped two paces from her. They regarded each other across the limitless gulf of their respective understandings. Outside, the sirens howled. Aaron could no longer see Zerid. More important, he could no longer see her. The Twi'lek's eyes fell to Aaron's lightsaber hilt. Aaron felt no fear radiating from the woman, just a soft, profound sadness. You have come to kill me? Aaron did not deny it. Her mouth was dry. She belted her own lightsaber, took Master Zalos in hand. I see your anger, the Twi'lek said. Aaron thought of Master Zalo and hardened her resolve. You don't know me, woman. Do not pretend that you do. She ignited Master Zalo's lightsaber. The Twi'lek's eyes widened, and a flash of fear cracked her calm facade. I don't, the Twi'lek acknowledged. But I know anger when I see it. I know it quite well. A sad smile illuminated her face, overcoming the fear in her expression. She was thinking of something or someone other than Aaron, and the sadness she radiated increased, sharpened. Anger is just pain, renamed, she said. This I know well too, and sometimes the pain runs too deep. Pain drives you, yes? Aaron had expected resistance, a fight, a protest, something. Instead, the Twi'lek seemed resigned. You will kill me, Jedi? Because of Darth Morgus? Something he did? Hearing Morgus's name uttered stoked the heat of Aaron's anger. He hurt someone I loved. The Twi'lek nodded, gave a single short outburst that might have been a pained laugh. He hurts even those he himself loves. She smiled, and her soft voice sounded like rainfall. These men and their wars. His name is Veridan, Jedi. And he would kill me if he knew I told you. But names are important. Aaron had to work to keep hold of her anger. The Twilix seemed so fragile, so hurt. I don't care what his name is. You were there with him, in the attack on the temple. I saw it. The temple? Ah, she nodded. Yes, I was with him. I love him. I fight at his side. You would do the same. Aaron could not deny it. She would have done the same. She had done the same. The anger she'd carried since feeling Master Zalo's death began to shrink, to drain out of her in the face of the Twi'lek's pain and sadness, in the realization that her own pain was not the moral center of the universe. The loss of her anger startled her. Since his death, she had been nothing but anger. Without it, she felt empty. Pain by another name, the Twi'lek had said. Indeed. Please be quick, the Twi'lek said. A clean death, yes. The words sounded not so much like a challenge as a request. 
What is your name? Aaron asked. Elena, the Twi'lek said. Aaron stepped toward her. Alina's eyes went to Aaron's blade, but she did not shrink from Aaron's approach. She stared into Aaron's eyes and Aaron into hers, each measuring the other's pain, the other's loss. Names are important, Aaron said. She flipped her grip on the dead master's lightsaber, deactivated the blade, and slammed the pommel against Alina's temple. The toilet collapsed without a sound. And I won't kill you, Alina. In so many ways, Alina was already dead. Aaron pitied her. She still felt compelled to avenge Master Zalo, but she could not murder Alina to make Malka suffer. Master Zalo would never have countenanced it. Aaron could not avenge him by betraying what he stood for. Perhaps he had failed. Perhaps the Order had failed. But both had failed nobly. There was something to that. She remembered the dream she had of Master Zalo. Of him standing on the temple's ruins, silently mouthing words at her that she could not then understand. She understood them now. Be true to yourself, he had said. Hadn't Zirid been trying to tell her the same thing all along? I am sorry, my lord, Curse said as they hurried through the spaceport. I assume they had evacuated, and we had not yet had a chance to take a head count. Save your excuses, Curse, Malgus said, and resisted the urge to cut the man in two. The long main corridor within the port felt kilometers long. Counters lined it, businesses, even vendor carts, all of them abandoned. Vid screens sat dark on the walls of lounges and clubs. Smaller corridors branched off the main one, leading to commercial passenger pads to lifts that led to the large craft staging areas and to the small craft pads. Move, Mulgus said to them, and they did. To curse, he said. Show me where you saw her last. Curse pointed to a side corridor far ahead, near the end of the main corridor. It's there, my lord. Pad 16B, on the left. Malgus thought 16B was close to the launch doors he had seen open upon his arrival at the spaceport. He augmented his speed with the force and blazed along the hall, leaving the soldiers far behind. The walls, signs, and floor were a blur to him as he sped toward the landing pad, toward Alina. T-7 had the rear hatch open on the dragonfly and was still plugged into the control panel. Zirid spent a few long moments turning his head from the dragonfly to the Imperial shuttle where Aaron had disappeared with the Twi'lek, then back again. He finally started to head for the dragonfly, but Aaron's voice pulled him around. Zirid! He turned to see Aaron emerge from the shuttle, carrying the still body of the Twi'lek in her arms. Zirid could not tell whether the Twi'lek was dead or alive. He walked toward Aaron slowly, his eyes not on the Twi'lek, but on Aaron. Do I want to know? He dreaded the answer. I didn't kill her, Zirid. It was important to me that you knew that. Zirid let himself breathe. <sighs> I'm glad, Aaron. Then you'll come with me now. He jerked a thumb over his shoulder. T7 as the dragonfly opened. I can't, Zirid. But I'm all right now. 
Do you understand? I don't. No. Erin opened her mouth to speak, stopped, and cocked her head, as if she'd heard something from far off. He's coming, she said. The hairs on the back of Zirid's neck rose. Who's coming? Morgus? Erin knelt and laid the Twi'lek down as gently as she might a newborn child. The siren suddenly stopped wailing. The sound cut off as if by a razor. The unexpected silence felt ominous. Zirid eyed the open double doors of the landing pad. A dark corridor stretched beyond them. Aaron rose, closed her eyes, inhaled. Go, Zirid, she said. I'm not leaving, Zirid said, and drew his other blaster. He ran his tongue over lips gone dry. She opened her eyes and grabbed him with her gaze. You are leaving, and you're leaving now, Z-Man. Think of your daughter. Go, right now. Go. Be a farmer. She smiled and pushed him away. He stared into her face, knowing she was right. He could not make Era an orphan. Not even for Aaron. Still, he was unwilling to leave her. He stepped closer to her, and her expression softened. She reached up and touched his face. Go. Driven by nothing more than impulse, he grabbed her by the shoulders and kissed her full on the mouth. She did not resist, even returned it. He held her away from him at arm's length. You are a fool there in the near, he said. Maybe. He turned and headed for the dragonfly. The feel of her lips lingered on his. A ghost of softness he hoped would haunt him forever. He only wished he had kissed her longer. He imagined her eyes on him, and he dared not look back for fear of losing his will to leave. He thought of the hollow of Era he used to keep on Fat Man. Her smile, her laugh. Thought of his promise to Nat that he would not take unnecessary chances. Hard as it was, he kept his back turned to Aaron Lanier. Get aboard, T7, he said as he walked up the landing ramp. T7 beeped a sad negative. You're not coming? Again, a sad negative. Zirid patted the droid on his head. You are a brave one. Thank you for your help. Take care of Aaron. T7 whistled an affirmative, followed that with a somber farewell, and wheeled away from the dragonfly. The ship's engines were already winding up. T7 must have started the launch sequence. Wrath picked his way through Razor's narrow corridors until he reached the rear compartment, which he converted from troop carrier to cargo hold. Stacked crates magnetically sealed to the deck dotted the hold, forming a rat's maze. He hurried through it to the rear door. The firefight outside seemed to have evaded, so he allowed himself to relax. Zirid watched T7 move away. He hit the control panel to close the rear door, and it began to rise. He waited until the latches sealed. Still thinking of Aaron, he put his hand on the cold metal of the door. The dragonfly lurched as it rose on its thrusters. He needed to get to the cockpit. He could not have the autopilot flying the ship when the Imperials started shooting. 
He hurried through the converted cargo bay made into a labyrinth by the many storage crates that dotted it. Rounding a corner, he nearly bumped into another man. It took a moment for recognition to dawn. A small frame, the neatly parted dark hair, the deep sockets with their dead eyes, the thin mouth. It was the man from Carson's Park. It was the man who had betrayed Zerid and Aaron to the Sith. It was the man who knew about Era and Nat. You, Breath Zizor said. Me, Zerid affirmed. Aaron watched the dragonfly lift off, missing Zerid already. She tried to summon the rage that had brought her to Coruscant to face Malgus, but she no longer felt the same heat. She reached into her pocket, found the bead from the Nautilin bracelet, held it between forefinger and thumb. She would face Malgus. She had to. But she would face him as her master would have wished, with calmness in her heart. She stood over Alina's body and waited. Malgus's presence pressed against her as he drew nearer. His anger went before him like a storm. Malgus rushed through the large double doors and into the landing bay. Brath Zizor's ship, Razor, rose on its thrusters toward the open roof doors. Two Imperial shuttles sat idle on the landing pad. Helena! he shouted hating himself for his vulnerability, but unable to contain the shout. He reached out with the Force as Razor continued its rise, tried to take it in his mental grasp. Its ascent slowed. He held forth both of his arms, made claws of his hands, and shouted with frustration as he sought to hold back the power of the ship's thrusters. He felt a tightness in his mind, the string of his power being drawn taut, stretching, stretching. He would not release the ship. Its thrusters began to whine. He held it, teeth gritted, sweat soaking his body, his breath a dry rattle through his respirator. And then the string snapped and the ship flew free, lifting clear of the roof doors. He roared his rage as the ship's engines fired and is headed for the heavens. Seething, he activated his wrist chrono. Jod, the Spice Runner's dropship has just left Liston Spaceport. Alina may be aboard. Secure it with a tractor beam and detain everyone aboard. The hum of an activating lightsaber cut off his words. Another followed it. He looked across the landing pad and saw Aaron Lanier, a lightsaber in each hand, standing over the body of Alina. Wow, wow, wow. I didn't expect that. This story has more ups and downs than a wombat in a windstorm, which is all right with me. I like when I'm this excited. It gives me an adrenaline fix that only Star Wars can provide, and I am loving it. The Old Republic was a crazy time to live, and the stories are some of the most epic. But wait, there's more. We still have the quote of this week to cover, and it comes to us from Jedi Grandmaster Sathil Shan. She said, The measure of success is not whether you have a tough problem to deal with, but whether you have the same problem you had last year. You know, life is full of challenges and obstacles. We all face tough problems at some point in our lives, whether it is in our personal lives or our professional lives. And when we are faced with tough problems and feel like we are not making progress, 
But the true measure of success is not whether you have a tough problem. It is whether we are able to overcome that problem and move forward. If we're facing the same problem this year that we faced last year, then we haven't made any progress. Success is about facing our challenges head on and finding solutions to overcome them. It's about learning from our mistakes and using that knowledge to become better, stronger, and more resilient. When we face a tough problem, it can be easy to feel like we are stuck in a rut. But the key is to stay focused and keep pushing forward. We need to be willing to try new approaches and take risks, even if it means stepping out of our comfort zone. So my friends, I encourage you to keep pushing forward and keep striving for success. Remember that success is not about the tough problems that you have. It is about whether you are able to overcome that problem and continue to grow and progress. Don't be afraid to take risks and try new things. And always remember that you have the power to overcome any obstacles that comes your way. And I think that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week as we travel through part 13 of this amazing story. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archive. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and it was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic of the Sea was read to you by Jason Ordega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host Kyle and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. 